phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome back to Federation Radio. It's me, your host, Floyd, once again. With the episode, A City on the Edge of Tomorrow. And I know why I remembered this episode's name. This episode has a lot to do with time travel and with a particular entity called The Guardian, which is a stone-ish gateway. I'm not really sure if it's meant to be like metallic or computer, but it's some kind of being called The Guardian, which is a being that, funny enough, now I don't want to talk too much about modern Trek because it's, let's say, different. My personal view, not as good, but different. Uh, in modern Trek, in a little show called Star Trek Discovery, they actually ran into this Guardian once again. The exact same gateway, except it was on a different world this time. Well, maybe it was the same world. I don't actually remember what they said about it in that, but it's the exact same Guardian. It even looks the same. Which I thought was really interesting, and probably why I remember it, because I actually watched Star Trek Discovery not that long ago. Like, maybe eight, nine months ago, I watched that show straight through for the first time. And it really stood out to me when I saw the gate. I was like, oh, I remember that. That's actually a straight reference to an old episode. But admittedly, I didn't go back to watch the old episode then, and it turns out this is the one. A city on the edge of tomorrow. Uh, edge of time, sorry. Not edge of tomorrow. Wait, is it city on the edge of tomorrow or edge of time? I have to... Look. On the edge of forever? Why have I written on the edge of time, and why did I think it was edge of tomorrow? Oh god, I'm going to have to go through and see what I've saved all these files as, because... In fact, I'm going to make a quick note in my notes for that. Uh, here we go. Forever. All right. Well, there you go. A city on the edge of forever. So the episode actually starts off really interesting. Like, it sucked me in immediately because the ship's shaking. The ship seems to be, my first thought, was under attack. I actually thought we were in for another Cleon episode or something because the ship very rarely starts off under attack at the start of an episode. But turns out they weren't under attack. They were passing by something called Time Ripples. And uh, these time ripples were being caused from a planet. They decided to follow it to the source to try and work out what's going on. And while they were doing that, you know, there was lots of issues going on on the ship. The ship was being hit with these waves and it seemed to be affecting it in all sorts of ways. Including at first, the ship exploded. Well, sorry, not the ship exploded. One of the consoles on the bridge exploded. Particularly the one that Sulu was on right in front of the captain. It, it didn't quite explode, but it, like sparks and... It's a bit of an explosion. It's like an electrical fire suddenly went off inside the console, which hit Sulu in the face and knocked him down to the ground. So they called up medical. Dr. McCoy comes up, goes to inject him with a bit of cordrocine. Except the problem is he hits him with cordrocine and it wakes him up. Except for then a wave hits the ship again. And when that wave hits the ship, it does something weird. It causes somehow time to distort just a little bit Enough so that McCoy has struck himself instead of Sulu. So Sulu is awake, but McCoy immediately goes into this absolute paranoid state. Because all of a sudden, it's as if Sulu was never struck at all. He's just fine, and it, McCoy is insane. McCoy then runs. He starts yelling assassins, murderers. He's absolutely top-level paranoia right now, running from everyone. He's completely out of his mind. He is overdosed on cordrocine. It's an extremely strong drug. Now, he runs off, and he manages to actually get to the transport room, almost unbelievably. Like, Kirk tries to call a security alert to capture him, and they try and work out what's going on, and by the time they work out what's happening, security calls him and says, I just found the transporter chief knocked unconscious. Dr. McCoy is gone. 
and then the transporter chief wakes up and sort of jumps on the mic and says captain it was dr mccoy he knocked me out and he programmed it to go straight down to the source of this time dilations whatever they are time disruptions did, did i write what it is it just says enterprise passing ripples in time which are oh yeah, that's what spock said is displacing time around this planet so that's what's happening so he's gone down immediately kirk gets a group together to go after them now I thought this was a really curious group of people to bring with you. He brings his engineer, chief engineer, Mr. Scotty, which, you know, that's not a bad choice. You bring your chief engineer and your chief science officer, of course, because there's something going on with time. It's probably mechanical. There's a good chance that it is. So you bring both your engineer and your scientist. That makes sense. What made less sense to me was that he brings Uhura. Now, that was surprising because... I think in this whole show, we've seen Uhura leave the ship maybe three times. Like, she, in 30 episodes, she's very rarely been anywhere but on the bridge or, like, in their little lunchroom area between shifts. Like, we very rarely get to see her going on to ground crews. So it was kind of cool to see her down there, and she had her phaser out, just like all the others, and she was searching around for Dr. McCoy. Which is when they found the Archway, the Guardian, as he's called. He is... We don't really understand exactly what it is. He just sort of describes himself as both his own start and ending. And when Spock tries to tell, ask him what that means, he says, I am sorry, but that is the closest understanding I can give to someone of your level of understanding. Which is a very backhanded insult of basically saying, you are too stupid to even fathom what I am, or you lack the understanding to do it. Which is interesting, because the Guardian has never really been explained. Like, is he some kind of godlike creature? That is beyond our understanding, because we met a few others like that, and they don't talk like that. They just say we're beyond your understanding. They don't. They don't say that you're incapable of understanding, just that you don't yet. This one goes out of his way to make it clear that you do not understand. But anyway, the gateway is flickering with images, images of the past, all different images flicking through. We see World War One, World War Two. We see what to me look like images of like a revolutionary war or something a little bit older, maybe industrial revolution years. It's just flicking through these black and white images of the past. It was interesting. And then they determine, you know, from Spock, who has now got his tricorder out and he's trying to work out what's going on, and he says, Captain, I don't really know what it is, but this entity or this machine or whatever this is, is the reason all these ripples are happening. It is all coming from this. And he looks around and says, but I don't understand how, because this isn't a machine in any of the ways that I know. I cannot find any circuitry or any way of understanding or even trying to pull apart or work out what this is. You know, it's, it's a bit of a mystery. The Guardian is able to speak. That's when he informs them, you know, I am beyond your understanding. I am both a being and a machine. You cannot understand for my, my own start and my own end. Which is, you know, even Spock says there's no need to answer in riddles. But it's just, it's weird. But anyway, they determine that the archway is actually sort of a portal. Because it looks like an archway and a gateway, and if you step through it, you'll be sent back to whatever it's showing. But the images are flickering, and there doesn't seem to be any way to alter it. Well, alter what it's showing. But um, what they find out is that Dr. McCoy has actually stepped through. And they try and work out exactly when he stepped through, and they're pretty clear on when it happened. The problem is the images are going so fast that, as Spock says, even if we tried to follow him through, chances are we'd be a month later or a week later or a week before. It's, it's going to be very, very hard to get this timing exact to end up where he was. So Kirk says, why don't we go back a little bit before him and get him? 
And the reason, by the way, that they have to go through the gateway instead of going back to the Enterprise to try and work out what's happening is because at this point they lost contact with the Enterprise. From the moment McCoy went through the gate, all of their communications equipment went dead. Anyone who was not on the ground staring at the Guardian, or in that room with it, seems to have been deleted from time. The Enterprise doesn't exist above, there's no one to contact, all their comms are dead. They don't know what's going on, they're scared. And they find that something about McCoy going back to the past has caused an issue that has basically changed time and caused their timeline to never happen. So yeah, like I said in the last episode, time travel is something we're going to experience again. Little did I know it was going to be in literally the next episode. But anyway, so they end up going back in time to the 1930s, so Great Depression, North America. I don't think they actually state exactly what city they're in, but... I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It does seem to be some kind of proper city, so I have to assume it's like Philadelphia, Chicago, New York. Like, it's somewhere up in that region of America. They meet a woman called... Oh, what was her name? Edith Keller. And Edith Keller runs what's called a missionary, which, if you don't know, is like back, especially in the Great Depression days, there were a lot of these missionary places where basically they would do all that they could to feed and clothe and look after everyone that they could, because there was just no jobs. There was no housing, and there was hardly any food. So people were desperate. These types of places would provide you with, as she said, enough money to make about $10 a week, which I know, modern standard, sounds ridiculous, but inflation and times were different and all that stuff. They made about $10 a week, and then she would offer them, you know, I can give you room and board for $2, and you can do some work around here, and I'll pay you for it. Now, I don't know, I think these missionaries mostly ran off of charity, of, like, wealthy people, or government, or churches, lots of things like that. But they also did work. Like, we see guys in there later on fixing clocks, presumably fixing clocks for local businesses and stuff, who would then pay the place, which the place would take some of that money, presumably, to feed the people, and then some of it would then be spent, you know, paying the people so they could hopefully use this as a way to get off their feet. They're fascinating places. If you ever get the time to look into the Great Depression, it's a very sad but very interesting period of human history where a lot of people came up with interesting ideas to get themselves out of poverty and to try and deal with the world. Like The entire society of America and most of the West, it happened in Australia and other places to a lesser degree too, you know, they found ways to come out of this and they found a lot of different ways to do things, new ways to sort society... The end of World War One was both good and bad for a lot of countries. It, it led to a lot of change, and it led to the 30s with this Great Depression. But anyway, Edith Keller runs one of these buildings. She finds Kirk and Spock after they've been on the run from the law, because they tried to steal clothes, because, you know, when they came in, they're wearing their Star Trek uniforms. Their uniforms would probably look out of place in the modern world, but in the 1930s, and everyone's walking around in 1930s clothing... And everyone's pretty poor, so the idea of flashy, over-the-top, luxurious clothing with special dyes, that's ridiculous. Most people barely have the money for bread and for a bit of broth, let alone that sort of thing. So they can't walk around dressed like that. Plus, obviously, Spock is a Vulcan. He has different ears, he looks a bit different. They had to hide him. So they determined they were going to steal some clothes, which they did. And as Kirk was saying, well, this should be easy. We can explain anything we need. We'll just do a little bit of theft, and then we can cover you up, and we'll keep you safe. And then you see your officer looking at them. And they go on this whole, like, he's trying to explain, well, you see, we were just borrowing these clothes, and my friend here, as you can see, is obviously Chinese. 
<laughs> Which, yeah, it's just a bit of humor. It's this stupid thing, but there's this whole, he's trying to convince this officer, my friend Spock here is actually Chinese. He had a brain surgery. That's why his ears look like this. It was due to an accident in his childhood. And after a while, the cop just cuts him off and goes, against the wall, both of you, that'll do. I've seen you steal. That's enough. That's all I need to hear. Obviously, they can't be arrested. But a Vulcan, if they discover an alien in the third in the 1930s, like they're going to dissect him. They're going to pull him apart. This is going to change the future worse than whatever's happened with the Enterprise. So, you know, Kirk distracts him. Spock does the typical Vulcan death grip or whatever on the shoulder that knocks him unconscious. And they run. They run into a basement as they're running from the other cops who have seen this happen and are chasing them. The cops seem to lose them. And when they end up in the basement, they're in the missionary, where they meet Edith Keller, who... Basically, they say, we're sorry, we had to steal these clothes, we have no money and had nowhere to stay. We're desperate. And luckily for them, it's a missionary. So she basically says, I will pay you. Your job today will be to clean up this place. If you like, I can give you, a, you will earn $10 a week and I can offer you a room for $2 to sleep in for the week. Which, you know, pretty good deal. They're making $8. Not a whole lot, but it's somewhere to sleep, something to eat. And a little bit, little bit of money to yourself. It's something. It's better than being on the street with nowhere to go, so they take it. Now, over the course of the episode, we learn, well, Kirk is his usual charming self, but Edith Keller is a very interesting woman. She's a very, for the 1930s, a very progressive woman, you could say. She had ideas far above her time. The problem is she's a full pacifist, which, as you know, in the 1930s, World War II is going to start breaking out in about six, seven years. Not a good time to be a pacifist, pacificate pacifist movements and appeasement movements didn't tend to go very well and most of them were either gobbled up by germany and japan and the other aggressive powers at the time or you know they were forced to change if they wanted to survive and not be gobbled up by them but what they determined throughout their time here because they're here about a week or two before mccoy now at this point they have to determine what's going on. Spock speculates if he can build some kind of receiver to go onto his tricorder, he'll be able to get some of those waves that are being sent out by the Guardian, he determines, are probably being sent through time as well as space. So he should theoretically be able to set up something on a receiver that will be able to receive those waves and show him the same images they were seeing on the gateway. He was right. It takes them a while. He builds, as he describes it, he's building a computer out of bear skins and knives because it's so primitive, and it is, but he manages to make it work, because he's Spock, he's the amazing science officer that can slap anything together, which I will say, I kind of wish they'd brought Scotty for, because Scotty's an engineer, and I feel like this would have been a perfect chance to let Scotty have a bit of the spotlight, because I've noticed he doesn't get it very often, which is kind of sad, I really like Scotty. But anyway, also, I will say, this episode is kind of repeated in The Next Generation with a very similar idea, except it's Commander Data instead of McCoy that goes back. But anyway, we'll talk about that episode when we get there, but I am noticing a lot of similarities there, and I thought that was really cool. So anyway, they're in this place, he manages to build a computer, and he makes a determination that there are two things in those waves that he receives that can happen. And what he thinks has happened, and he thinks that this event, sorry, he th what he thinks is going on is that these events all around Edith Keller, the reason they came out where they were was her. She is the focal point of the change. They don't know why yet, but they receive a message, well not a message, but they receive from the time dilation, I guess, two different articles. One of them is 1937, President FDR talking with Edith Keller. 
and they agree and it's some i forget what the article says but she's speaking with him and she's basically convincing him of a lot of her ideas and i guess they're taking those social policies that he was in charge of during the 30s to an all new level trying to help everyone spend less on the military and all that stuff but and here's the kicker remember what i said happens in the 30s this is world war ii what do you think happens to the world if the usa doesn't mobilize during the 30s for one thing Many people speculate if the war hadn't happened, the Great Depression might have lasted longer than a couple of years or close to a decade. It might have been more like a 50-year cycle of depression for America. The war and the mass mobilization of their industry towards war is largely what saved America in the end economically. So for one thing, it would have hurt them long-term like that, but for another, they determined that in the second article that comes up, Edith Keller is killed. She is hit by a car. Which shows them that there are two different realities that can play out here. Either Edith Keller dies and things go just as they did historically, where she doesn't meet with the president, her ideas of peace and pacifism don't get mixed around too much too early, which allows the US to eventually win the war in history to go the way it did. However, in this timeline, because she does peace, the US doesn't get involved in the war, doesn't develop the atom bomb first, which means that Germany does. And they basically say that in this timeline, Germany would use the V-2 rockets and the A-bomb in combination after their victory in the war to basically end the world in their war with the following conquests afterwards. Which means, of course, Star Trek never happens, because if the world ends in nuclear fire, we never get to space for the Enterprise to ever find the Gateway. Which I'm pretty sure is a paradox, because the only reason those events are happening is because the Enterprise got there and made an action that changed history which they can't do if they weren't there to change history in the first place, but this is why time travel can be an absolute head fuck of a story. And while I love it, and it's fascinating, and I... Oh, I love it, but I feel sorry for all the writers throughout time that have had to come up with these time travel stories, because goddamn, it must suck trying to get your mind around this. As an aspiring writer, I've looked at so many different ways to write, and I'm telling you, time travel... I'm terrified to ever even try and tackle that as a story, because damn, it's going to be difficult. But anyway, I, I think they did a pretty good job here, other than that maybe paradox bit. It worked out well. Because now you've got this interesting, Kirk is being charming. He likes Edith. She's got all these ideas that are very suited to the Federation. She's very ahead of her time. And that makes her and Kirk get along. And of course, she finds Kirk charming, because all the ladies find Kirk charming. And then when Spock brings him this news, he says, I understand that you and your emotions and your heart, you're going to want to protect her and save her. But her death is the only way that our future can ever be restored. So it is your choice, Captain, but you will end humanity and kill possibly trillions and end all life as we know it. If you save her. She has to be allowed to die. Now, they don't understand how things have changed just yet or what determines this. All they know is that she dies in a car crash and somehow Dr. McCoy coming back to the past is going to change that. Now, throughout this, we get an interesting... It takes a while. At first, it's this... Kirk sort of fights with it. He's really not happy about this. He doesn't know what to think. And for now, he just says, I understand. For now, we'll just keep waiting for Dr. McCoy and see what we can do. McCoy does show up a couple days later. And he is still, remember, out of his mind. He is still high as balls from this quadracine overdose. He is in a state of absolute paranoia. He's got red lumps all over his skin. He, his whole system is overloaded with this drug. He is not functioning. And he ends up, you know, after basically assaulting this guy on the street, he ends up waking up and sort of realizing where he is because he's in the missionary. 
He's gone in there for a coffee at some point, basically passed out. Edith, being a nice person, has seen him and said, oh god, you need help. And she's taken him to a room to lay down and try to look after him. Now, in time, he's sort of woken up and he apologises for the way he was and says, it was a drug overdose, it was in my system, it's gone now, I'm a surgeon, I apologise for what happened. But he's sort of looking around and he's still a bit paranoid, he's still a little bit like, I don't know if I believe you or not, but if you are real, you've done me a great service and I thank you. And, you know, they sort of laugh and then she says, oh, I'm going to the movies with my man tonight. Then she goes off with Kirk and she makes an offhanded comment to Kirk about how this man apparently a surgeon named Dr. McCoy didn't know what I forget what the movie was it was Clark something it, I even I recognize the name I didn't write it down but it's like an old old school movie name back in the black and white days in the 50s and th- or back in the 30s I guess it must have been a big movie name and she was like he didn't know it can you believe that and he was and he you know Kirk immediately is like what did you just say did you just say McCoy Dr. Leonard McCoy because, you know, obviously the whole reason for coming back to this point in time through the gate was to find McCoy. So he's like, how does Edith know who McCoy is? And then he tells Edith, because they're in the middle of the road, they're halfway across uh, across it right now, because they were crossing as they were talking. He says, stay right here, stay right here, I need to speak with Spock, quickly. And he sort of runs off. At that point, McCoy and Spock actually come out, well, Spock comes out first, and then not long after is McCoy comes out the front. And there's this real quick, you know, they have a quick hug. They're like, McCoy, Captain, Spock, it's good to see you all. And then at the last moment, you see a truck coming. And Edith has been told to stand in the middle of the road and wait a moment. So you can sort of see what's happening here. At first, Kirk sees what's about to happen, goes to take a step towards Edith. And Spock says, Captain, like reminding him she is supposed to die in a car accident this is probably the moment do not change history you can't save her but all he says is kirk and you can see it in his face he understands mccoy however doesn't he hasn't been here he hasn't had these discussions he just sees a woman in danger and goes to save her as he steps towards her kirk grabs him and sort of holds him in position and mccoy's trying to fight him but it's too late she gets hit by the car and McCoy's yelling at him, like, do you understand what you've just done? You you stopped me. Why did you stop me? I was trying to save her. And, Alf, and then Kirk lets him go and sort of goes against the wall. You can tell he's basically on the edge of crying because he's just, you know, he obviously really cared about this woman. He really liked her and he just basically let her die. In fact, he went out of his way to stop someone else saving her, which is, I can only imagine, very difficult. And, uh, yeah. We have a nice little moment where Spock turns around and he says to the Doctor, he understands, McCoy. He does, believe me. But, like, that's a fascinating little episode. Basically, after that, they end up jumping out of the gateway or being sucked out of the gateway, I think, because the timeline is restored, so things have gone back to the way they were. And it's funny because Uhura and Scotty are on the other side and they're like, what's going on, Captain? You just went through. Because, like, from their point of view, Spock and McCoy went in, they time-traveled, and, like, two seconds later, they came back out of the gate. And they're like, what? you just went in. Did it just bounce you back out? Like, what's going on? And then a few seconds later, McCoy comes out behind them. And then, at that point, Uhura's communicator beeps. It's the starship above, the Enterprise, and the Enterprise is saying, would we like to beam up? Kirk kind of looks around, realizes the timeline has been restored. Edith is dead, they're back. The gateway, the Guardian actually says, I can show you any point in time of your history. What would you like to see? I can do this for anything. Kirk takes one look at it, looks at Uhura and says, 
Let's get the hell out of here. And then literally the credits start rolling. We don't even see them transport back up. I kind of wish this was an episode where we had had a few seconds at the end of the episode to discuss what's to be done about this system, because I feel like Discovery bringing it up later makes me think that this system was known about, or the Guardian was known about. Surely this is in all the reports. Why does this gate not come up again? And all I can imagine is that either the gateway has the ability to move its own location whenever it feels like it, because it seems to be a very conscious entity beyond their understanding, or... The planet is probably going to become one of those, kind of like that other system. Oh, I'll see if I can find it. Uh, episode 1. No, that's the man trap. The cage, which was in... Oh, God. This I took my notes very differently on the first episode. Uh, Talos Star Sector, which is one of the few star sectors that has a, like, absolute code 1. You will be killed if you go here. Top-level secrecy. I kind of feel like the star system with the Guardian given what it can do and the possibilities to the destruction of the timeline here, probably is under a similar thing where most Starship captains just basically are told to quarantine that system, not to go near it. They won't probably be told why the computers will just feed them information. That system is dangerous. Do not enter under any circumstances. And I'd say they just mostly keep it a secret. But I would have liked a few seconds even at the end of the episode just for Kirk to send a message to Starfleet Command or for Starfleet Command to make that determination. Because they don't make it kind of brings into question when we see it later on in other shows, like, what happened to it? Where did it go? And why didn't we see it again? I don't know, it's weird. I do... It is interesting that they think that's what would have happened. I mean, you know, obviously the Nazis did not win the war, so we don't actually know what they would have done. They said a lot of things that they wanted to do, but as everyone always points out, Hitler was old. Who knows what would have happened when he died post-war, even if they had won. Maybe the Germans would have had a civil war and fallen apart. Maybe he would have eventually had a successor that continued his work. Maybe his successor might have gone down a whole nother role and you might have seen a German empire restoring the Kaiser or perhaps going back to democracy and trying to get forgiveness for what they had done. Who knows? But apparently the writer of this episode was pretty convinced that they would have ended the world. And I do tend to agree. I think at some point, had the Reich lasted long enough, the likelihood that they would have destroyed humanity with nuclear fire is pretty high. Kind of like the man in the high castle, I could see that Japanese Empire versus German Empire nuclear war, Cold War gone hot type scenario going on. I would say in most scenarios, I think that would end a nuclear war in some way had they survived. So the ride is probably not far off what would happen. It's not a guarantee, but that's what they've decided to go with for the episode's sake, and I can respect that. I can understand why they might do that and, you know, all that. Anyway, it was an interesting little... Star Trek likes to do these weird... They love to go back to World War II. They love to get out the old uniforms and stuff. They do it so many times across the shows. This was vaguely a little before World War II, but not quite World War II. It was very interesting. Anyway, that was the episode, City on the Edge of Forever. So, thank you for listening. And in the next episode, we're going to be going over Operation Annihilation, which is the final episode of Season 1 of the original series. And by the way, in case I haven't mentioned it in the last episode, I'm intending to do another 7-day special right now. Mostly because I forgot to upload last week, so we're two episodes behind. But also because we're at the end of Season 1 and I want to finish Season 1, which is the next episode will be the third one. And then I thought it'd be nice to get season two rolling. We're going to do four episodes in one week of that as well. I'm going to release them one day after another until next Wednesday. And then on that Wednesday, I will release, well, one more episode, the usual weekly one, and then the one on the Sunday after that. And then we'll go back, you know, the regular scheduled releases. But 
to make up for the few weeks I've been missing here and there throughout the podcast, I thought it'd be fun, let's do another seven-day special. And let's get ahead a little bit, let's finish season one, let's get into season two. Because without spoiling much, season two is when one of my favourite characters from the original series becomes a part of it, Mr. Chekhov. So, in the next episode, which I'll be recording straight after this, Operation Annihilation will be ending season one. I look forward to it, and I hope you all do too. I'll see you all next time. Feel free to contact me if you have any questions, theories, or anything else that you want to let me know about. And I will speak to you all in the next one. Bye for now.